Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. We are in Revelation chapter 7 this morning. We're going to be moving warp speed. We are going to read two verses. <laughs> we were going to finish the chapter, but uh, I thought I'd spare you a three-hour sermon this morning. you are on a time crunch this morning, you're in good luck, because I think this sermon's going to be a little shorter than normal. I know know you're all upset. I know you're upset. Uh, Let's let's get right into this. Revelation chapter 7, starting at verse 9. Verse 13 is where we're going to pick up uh, new territory here, but we're going to get a running start at verse 9. After this, I looked and behold... A great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Isn't that incredible? Heaven is filled. <laughs> you know, there isn't, there isn't 300 people that made it. There are so many in heaven that heaven is filled And then not only is it filled, it's filled with not one kind of people. (laughs) It's not filled by a bunch of lost tribes of Israelites. It's not filled with only Englishmen. It's it's filled with all kinds of people. And, and, And from all different languages. And I wonder when we sing in heaven if we all sing in a different language. That somehow makes a song. I, I do not know, but all I know is there are all these different kinds of people from all walks of life, from all ages. And even though they're all different, they're all more than they're different, they're one. They're all in the same blood, of the same spirit. They're in Christ. And here they are, they are standing, it says, before the throne and before the Lamb. And we got to remember, this is a response to the unbelievers' question in chapter 6. Do you remember? Remember they said at the end of chapter 6, as they were hiding in, in the caves, crying out, Oh, hide us from the wrath of the one on the throne and the one on the Lamb. And they say, Who can stand? Who can stand before the wrath of God Almighty? And it's almost as if Jesus presses pause on the seals and says, Oh, I'll show you. And immediately the believers are standing in heaven before the one on the throne and before the Lamb. Why can believers stand? Because here's the reality. Every single one of us deserves wrath. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Have you sinned? (laughs) If you said no, you just lied. So now you've sinned. (laughs) We all deserve wrath. The difference between us and the believer's family is that our wrath has already been absorbed by another. 
the wrath that we deserve, that we rightly deserve. The only reason it's not poured upon our heads is because in this life on earth, we point to Jesus Christ and say, I choose him to pay for my sin. And all of the wrath that you deserved was poured upon the, the man of sinlessness, the Jesus Christ, the one upon the cross. He carried our wrath so that in that day, the Lord's day, when we stand before God Almighty, we stand there freely. We are not crushed from the weight of our own sins because another was crushed for us. And then it goes on to say, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And boy, oh boy, you want to talk about an unpopular verse. What did God just tell us? There are not many paths to heaven. It's not Jesus and Buddha. <laughs> it's not Jesus and good parents. It's Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. Otherwise, what does Paul tell us? So that none may boast. Every single one of us are going to stand in heaven with no reason to take pride in what we've accomplished. Every single one of us that made it are going to point to Jesus Christ and say it's because of him. Christ plus nothing. Salvation belongs to God. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and before God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And if you remember last Sunday, this is the first time in the book and maybe the first time in all of the existence that the church leads the angels and the cherub into song. Here God shows the church has been elevated to the point that we are heaven's worship leaders. And boy, what God not only has made us worthy to stand in heaven, he has equipped us to such a thorough degree, has cleansed us to such a thorough degree that we can lead the angels into song. And then verse 13, new territory here. Then, which this isn't very profound, but you should know it. It means after what we just read. <laughs> then, then one of the elders addressed me, saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Isn't that so interesting? Imagine with me for, for a moment, this is you. God took you up on the Lord's day in the spirit and he started showing you all the things we've seen in Revelation. God brings you up, he shows you all these things that like you can barely wrap your mind around uh, and then asks you, what does it mean? <laughs> Who are these people? Like, wouldn't you be thinking to yourself, why is anyone asking me this question? <laughs> God, you tell me, you're sh I can't even describe the color that's coming off Jesus. Don't ask me, explain these things. And here, here's, this is what I think is happening. As a good teacher knows, especially when you're dealing with new learners, it's effective to ask questions to get students engaged. So this elder is engaging with John, but also this letter was given to the seven churches. God's engaging with us. He's, it's almost in a sense if we're told to pause and think, who are these people? And so the elder wants John, the elder wants us to pause and think. 
uh, and uh, what we are seeing here. And then verse 14, I love this. And I said to him, sir, (laughs) you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. We have much more to read, but we have three thoughts already that we're going to have to get through here. Uh, First, um, the innumerable amount of saints are those who have come out of the great tribulation. What does that mean? Well, maybe they were raptured, but most likely this is the persecuted church who have died during the great tribulation through death or persecution. Now, this section, if we pause and think like I think we're supposed to, answers uh, and addresses a very big lie in our culture today. And I've heard so many people say this from many different variations, and I've kind of shared this before. But something I hear frequently is that if Christians acted more like Jesus, the world would embrace and love the church. Have you heard this before? Well, it's a lie. (laughs) Here we are seeing that truly godly men and women are and will be actually and frequently loathed by society and specifically big government, which is the context here. There, There is going to come a time. It's amazing. All this science hasn't made us more peaceful. Now, has it? (laughs) There's going to come a time when the unsaved will be so fed up with the person and teachings of Christ that they will kill any and all who choose to stand with Christ. And this is something I, I, I feel that is so necessary for us to grasp. And that is that a believer needs to die. A believer needs to die and be born again. When, when we or, or someone makes a decision to answer the call and follow Christ, one of the first things that has to happen is we have to be willing to die. And specifically here, they have to be willing, Philippians 2.7, to come of no reputation to lay down their pride and to sacrifice their status. You you have to be willing to let people think ill of you. Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you. (laughs) I don't know how more plain we could be there. So here's a story from my my past. Me and my dad still talk about this on somewhat regular basis. Um, for, For those of you that are newer here, and I get a kick out of saying this. Uh, for, some of you may not know, but my dad started this church 34 years ago, odd years ago. And I took over from him during the pandemic, which was, you know, not, not an issue. <laughs> but when I was around 10 years old, I, I remember the church was going through some split, some problem. And again, me and my dad still talk about this. I remember telling my dad, dad... If I was ever the pastor, (laughs) I would just love everybody. (laughs) Essentially, I would be so nice and so kind, there would be no problems. Sounds like a young person, doesn't it? (laughs) That I would be so kind to meet their craziness, there would be peace. And we'd all hold hands and drink a Coke, and it would be great. And my dad's so appropriately responded with Josh, some people won't let you have peace. And when I was 10 years old, I thought, boy, he doesn't get it. (laughs) For the record, he was right. Uh, 
Because no matter how much love or how much peace or how much grace I or any of us show some people, some people just want chaos. And, with, and, and that's within the church. Hate to break it to you if you're in a honeymoon period with the church. Like, there are crazies in the church. And you know what? There are crazies outside of the church. That no matter how kind or how generous or Christ-like we are, because we believe in the word of God, the darkness will call us Nazis and hateful and dumb, and narrow-minded, or, you know, whatever. And this is what Jesus warns us about. And remember, Jesus was God. (laughs) He was the kindest person to ever live. He was the most compassionate, the most reasonable man to ever walk this planet. And he, Jesus, was hated so much, crowds of people sought to kill him on a regular basis. Because the unreasonable always detests reason. The darkness always hates the light. Me me and Nathan were just reading Luke 6 uh, two nights ago, my my five-year-old. And Jesus heals a man with a withered hand. And this is an agricultural society. Like, you need to be able to work. And Jesus heals this man with a withered hand, but it was on a Sabbath. And when Jesus says, is it lawful to do good or bad on the Sabbath? And they don't answer. And then he says, stretch out your hand. And he kind of does like a little trick where he doesn't actually do it, but he does do it. And And it says that they were filled with fury that he healed somebody because they broke one of his rules, their rules. And then the story of Lazarus. If you remember the story of Lazarus, Jesus is almost at the triumphal entry, almost into Passion Week, and he raises a man from the dead. And it says that he didn't win some of the crowd. They went and told the Pharisees, we got to kill this guy. It got so bad, he couldn't even bring people back to life without getting hatred for it. And for us, if we have to know This is what is in our blood now. Light. And the darkness hates the light. And if we could honestly, honestly, and I I don't say this cavalierly or, or lightly, if we could walk through this life, if you could walk through this life without honestly ever making anyone mad, then as Jesus said, woe to you. The reality is then you have then 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 we will have you will have walked through life with no conviction, with no substantive opinions, with no real sense of justice or right or wrong or, or, or evil, which means what? You never really stood with Christ. In Revelation 21, God judges the nations. And in Revelation 21, there's a sevenfold list of the people that are thrown into hell. And boy, it's a scary list. Amen. And the first kind of people thrown into hell on Judgment Day, the number first people in are the cowards. I take that to mean those who never stood their ground. To those who cared so much about public opinion that they were willing to worship Baal one day and then culture and government one day and then God the next. And they flip-flop depending upon the convenience. Now, I share this today because of the story of the innumerable multitude in heaven. Heaven is going to be filled with people who came out of what? 
the great tribulation. These are people that stood their ground and were willing to die for Christ. Heaven is going to be filled with people who stood their ground and grew a backbone. And at the end of the book, in contrast, we're going to see that hell is going to be filled with people who would not. Now, a little clarifier here, because some people hear this, and remember, there's crazies in the church, and they like to fight, and they hear this and go, I knew it. And every time they get in an argument, it's because I'm being persecuted. And it's like, no, you're just a jerk. Uh, (laughs) The question is, should Christians start fights? No. No. In fact, Some people have convinced themselves a spiritual ability is fault-finding, when in reality, that's the Antichrist system. If you have a spiritual ability to find everyone else's speck in their eye, the problem's you, it ain't them, okay? But besides the point, we're, we're told in Scripture to live peaceably with all men. We are to do our absolute best to be peacemakers, for the peacemakers are what? They will be called what? The sons of God. We are to be peacemakers and love people lavishly as God has loved us. But you know what? Sometimes people won't let you. And when those moments are thrust upon you, we all have a decision to make. Will we identify with the darkness and the beast? Or will we identify with the light, our Lord Jesus Christ, and stand our ground? to stand upon our biblical convictions, to stand with Christ when the cowards flee and backpedal and politic and deny. And this is a very strong warning in today's passage. Now, the second thing I absolutely love here, I love verse 13. Verse 13 says, after my coffee break, oh, it's so good. (laughs) And Josh sipped his coffee. Uh, Verse 13, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come? I love that this elder comes mosey on and over to John, you know, and he checks in like, hey, you catching this? I love that he starts asking John questions. Now, this builds upon an Old Testament text in Ezekiel 37. And if you want to find out what that means, you got to check it out tomorrow's Bible study. But I believe there's also some utility here. I, I, I think the elder is trying to see if John has a right interpretation of Jesus' revelation. Isn't that fascinating? It's not your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. He goes, are you getting the truth here? <laughs> Do you have a right interpretation of what's happening? I think that's, I pretty strongly believe that's what's happening. And if we want to ask ourselves a logical question, right? If, if the elder's making sure that John understands this passage in clarity, one of the things we have to under, ask is, through all of the odd things that John has already seen in this book, remember the sea of ice? <laughs> remember the seven spirits of God? Remember the image of Jesus in chapter 1? Remember the the four cherub in in chapter 4? Now why all of a sudden, why why here does the elder make sure John is looking at this right? Because he wants John to know what is going to happen to the church. 
Jesus wants us to know what is going to happen to the church and especially to the persecuted church. The elder is making sure that we know with no interpretive errors here that Jesus is going to cleanse and gather his people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every peoples, from every nations. There are a lot of things the church can have questions about this book, but this is one that God makes absolutely sure we have no doubt. God is getting his people home. Christ is getting his people home to the Father, no matter what they've gone through, no matter the oppression, no matter the trial, no matter the slander. Christ is getting his people home. And so the elder asks, who are these people? Because John needs to know, the church needs to know that we know, that we know, that we know that when we die, no matter what men have said about us, no matter what we have gone through, no matter how we may be remembered, that Jesus brings his people home to the Father. The elder is teaching us plainly how we should receive this vision, that the blood of Jesus has and will cleanse an innumerable amount of people, and then again to bring those people home to Dad. And the elder asks John the question because the elder wants John again, and I keep repeating this, not because I don't have anything to say, but because I want you to know it. John wants us, the elder wants John absolutely clear on this. Jesus is getting his people home. And so there has to be clarity here. Now, the third thing that I love here before we keep reading The elder asks the older apostle John, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I don't know if this is going to impact anyone as much as it does me here, but I think it's really important. I have met, for those of you that don't know, I used to work for Franklin Graham and I worked with a lot of pastors all over the East Coast. And at Calvary's, I've met so many, you know, just met a lot of people in ministry over the years. And I have met so many men in ministry who would have failed this test. Think about it. John seems to be the last living apostle. He's the father to the church we see in, in the book of 1 John, remember? He called himself as a father, my little children. <laughs> He's the expert on the people and ministry of Christ. People probably ask him a million questions a day, right? Like, what did Jesus eat? What songs did he like? You know, did he ever make a sandwich around a campfire? Like all the questions we would think about. And John was the expert. And when this elder asked John this question, instead of hopping into Apostle John mode and drums up some answer, His character comes through and he's humble. And instead of hopping into authoritative mode and giving a guess, John replies with in verse 14, I said to him, sir, you know, isn't that awesome? John was nicknamed the disciple whom Jesus loved. And here we see John, after all this time, 30 odd years after, er, (laughs) 60-odd years after Jesus has has ascended to the Father. And here he is. He's still a precious man. He's still humble. He's still eager to learn. He's teachable. 
He's correctable. He's instructable. What a warning to us. We can learn so much here. We don't want to fall into the same trap that the Pharisees did to where we find ourselves so intelligent, having so much knowledge, having find ourselves so important and impressive that we can no longer learn anything from anyone. We can no longer learn anything from God or his vessels. You know, God sends people sometimes to you. And sometimes those people aren't as impressive as you think they may be as God's messengers. But they carry God's word. Are we too proud to receive? Are we too too smart to learn anything from the word? Jesus tells us that the greatest in the kingdom of God are those who become like little children. And can't you see that in John here? Sir, you know. (laughs) He's not too proud to say it. I don't know. He's not too important that he can't learn. He essentially says, teach me. He's 90 years old, the father of the church. Teach me. I have no idea. You tell me. And thinking of John's gospel, John recorded the words of Jesus in John 14, 17, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. John shows us here in the spirit that he isn't interested in appearing wise, but that he just wants the truth. Shouldn't that be in every single one of us? Shouldn't that, we should be truth seekers. And we need to approach God's word and Bible studies and devotionals ready to receive and eager to learn the truth. And his word, John 17, 17, is truth. Now, let's keep rolling. (laughs) Back to verse 14. And I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. We're done our today's text here. One thought, the blood. Before we go, we should notice that the saints in heaven are clothed in pure white garments because they have been washed in the blood. (laughs) If I can give you a laundry tip... If you wash your clothes with a bottle of red wine, they will not come out white. (laughs) Yet this blood has made them pure white. Now, the crowd of people are revealed as Christians. And the elder makes sure that we know beyond any doubt that these are Christians. This crowd of people are revealed as Christians. And and why are they Christians? Because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Here is such a foundational, a simple truth, which is so often neglected in our churches. Have you ever been in a church and they don't talk about the blood? (laughs) Teachings and there's no cross. A bloodless gospel is not the gospel. A church that does not speak of the blood of the cross is not a biblical church. A pastor 
(laughs) that does not talk about the cross is not a biblical pastor. A faith that is not built upon the blood and the cross is not a saving faith. Why are these Christians in heaven? Because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The cross. Do you see it? The cross. They are in heaven because they have accepted the cross. And you know what? This is going to sound really say it when I say it. But you have to remember, Greek is a very precise language. Like, there are so many different words for rest and love and angry. There's like crazy angry, and then there's like hangry, and they have like very specific, precise, surgical language, which is why the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Because there was a precise word for just about everything they wanted to say, okay? So it's going to sound crazy, a little silly when I say it, but it's not So keep in mind, a wash is not a dip. (laughs) A wash is not a dab. A wash is a submerged scrub. And here's the point. The elder didn't say they were cleansed by the blood. No, it says that they have washed in the blood. These saints are not saved because they know of the cross. Because they know of the blood or have heard of the blood or have incorporated the blood. No, they walk in purity. These people are in heaven because they have washed and plunged themselves from head to toe and have scrubbed in the blood. Our faith, Christianity, our salvation, central to it is the blood of Jesus. Is the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the cross is the power of God unto what? Salvation. God in today's passage is showing us how we may walk in white in the next life. How we may live as a child of heaven. You want to be a child of God? Seriously, I'm asking you. You want to be a child of God? (laughs) You want to be in heaven? You need to wash yourself completely in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Christians are to be a people of the cross. Jesus just told us, he told us in the gospel, that every single believer must pick up his cross and follow him. And to feel the full weight of today's passage, we have to understand that Jesus, that God is building upon the Old Testament theme of dirty garments. In Isaiah 64, 6, and Zechariah 3, 3, and Jude 23, stained garments were a picture of sin. In Jude, it literally says, don't get their poop on you. It's sin. Stained garments are, are symbols used by God all throughout the Bible to give mankind a picture of a life stained by sin. And this is the reason the elder communicates their salvation in this way. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Through faith, Romans 5.1, the blood of Jesus Christ, 1 John 1.9, cleanses us of all of our filth. The blood cleanses us of all of our sins and makes us spotless and pure before the Father. Now, let's imagine one more time this morning for a moment. 
Imagine your life was a long white robe. Mine's bigger, but long white robe. And every time you sinned, you got a fresh stain on it. Now take a moment to examine your life. Every curse word, every lie, every exaggeration, every time you drank too much, every gossip, every second of lust, stain, 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 stain. Question, what would that robe look like? You'd have to air it outside of the house. It would be so gross. If you're honest, there is a one square inch of that robe that's not dirty. And I'm talking inside and out. And this is how the Bible speaks of our own righteousness. As filthy rags. But the Bible. (laughs) The Bible also reveals the cleaning agent. There is one substance in the universe that can clean you and and can wash the sin out of your robes. And that is the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And question, knowing the condition of your robe, do you think a sprinkle will clean it? (laughs) Do you think a dab or a dip is going to clean that sucker? Maybe a blowtorch. You know, what, what's going to clean that thing? Of course not. It must be washed. It must be plunged and scrubbed from head to toe. <laughs> loved ones, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is a giver. He so loves, he loves big and he gives big. And he's such a giver, he even gave himself. And if we would come to him, if we would say, Jesus, I, I, choose, I, I want you. You got to cleanse my robe here. <laughs> if you would accept him, then we must respond by giving ourselves in return. And not a portion of ourselves, the whole thing. We must not dip our toe in the pool of grace. We must dive in. (laughs) And listen, if I sound like a crazy lunatic, Josh is trying to start a cult sort of a teacher. Let me tell you, this is how Jesus taught. If I sound nuts, I'm just being biblical. Listen to what Jesus said in John 3. When the time comes, we need to die and be born again. In the early church, in the book of Acts, remember Peter gives that sermon and it says they were cut to the heart and they ask, oh, what do we do? He says, repent, turn from your old ways and be baptized. We must be submerged in the forgiveness of God. We must dive into the forgiveness of God. We go down in that water, we are submerged and we come out totally new. And here's the point as we close. We must put our whole lives under the blood if we are to become cleansed and made pure. If the message of the cross is the power of God unto salvation, as Paul said it, and it is, then our lives, 
our thinking, our witness, our joy, our peace, our acceptance, our fellowship, our study, all of it needs to be rooted and submerged and built upon the finished work of the cross in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so if I can leave you with one sentence today, salvation is in the blood. Why are these people in heaven? Because they have washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. They are not in heaven because they have washed themselves and are good parents. They are not in heaven because they have washed themselves and tithe. They are not in heaven because they washed themselves and gave of their time. Uh Uh-uh. It's all about submerging oneself in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to pure white garments. And every believer in heaven has dove into that pool of grace. And that's what we need to pick up from today's text. Let's pray. God, we, we, we thank you for... We thank you for the elder asking John this question. Who were these people? We thank you for your absolute clarity here. That you are getting every single one of your people home. And your people are those who have washed in the blood. God, (laughs) we ask, we, we plead, we cry that where our lives are not submitted to you, that you may draw us or, if necessary, break us <laughs> to be the people you desire us to be. God, we, we do not wish to dip our toe <laughs> in the pool of grace. We wish to dive in. God, capture us so thoroughly. Help us to follow so faithfully. And it's not that we'll be perfect, God. You also restore those to the paths of righteousness. So God, please help us to follow you. Help us to follow you faithfully. Help us to be all in. Help us to not be limping between two opinions, God. Help us to be all in. And ultimately, the closer we are with you, the more joy we have anyways. (laughs) But God, please draw us deeper. We pray that if anyone needs prayer, that they receive prayer from our prayer team up here. Let let them come and be bold enough to come. If someone needs to talk today, if they're lonely, they're sad, God, you have drawn them to a place filled with believers. Let them talk. (laughs) Let them find someone to speak to. God, where, where those of us that are empty and need to be filled, fill us. And those of us that are too proud, humble us. God, just make us your faithful people, whatever that looks like. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. I love you guys. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. 
For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.